long ago, the four nations lived together in harmony. Then, everything changed when the Fire Nation attacked. Only the Avatar, master of all four elements, could stop them. But when the world needed him most, he vanished. A hundred years passed, and my brother and I discovered the new Avatar, an airbender named Aang. And although his airbending skills are great, he has a lot to learn before he's ready to save anyone. But I believe Aang can save the world. and welcome back to What's Appa, a rewatch podcast of the greatest show ever, Avatar The Last Airbender. I'm Joyce. I'm Justin. And I'm Anin. And this week, we wanted to give a special shout out to our friend Anurag, who read the intro. And we want to remind our listeners to email us or hit us up on social media for a chance to be featured in a future intro. So this is episode five of our podcast, where we will be discussing Imprisoned. And just a quick fun fact about the name, it's actually... Um, one of the few episodes that doesn't start with the, and it's the o- one of two episodes that uh, has a one-word title, and the only other one is Jet. Previously on Avatar, uh, we have Katara, who brought hope at the South Pole to her grandmother, and this whole previously thing is priming us for a Katara-centric episode. So we had Sokka-centric episode with the Kiyoshi Warriors, an Aang-centric episode with the King of Omashu, and now we are ready for a Katara-centric episode. And Katara's plan and is to go to the North Pole to master waterbending with Aang. And meanwhile, we have Zuko searching for the Avatar in the Southern Air Temple and Kiyoshi Island. Yeah, so let's just get right into what happens in the episode. So the first scene is Team Avatar in the forest, and... The first thing that I noticed was the animation in the first scene and throughout the episode is a little bit different from how uh, the previous episodes that we've been seeing. So the camera, quote unquote camera, like pans down to Aang and Katara and you can see that the trees are painted in this very like illustrative, impressionistic kind of way. Um, It's less cartoony and two-dimensional and looks like kind of looks water like watercolory and you can even see the grain of the paper a little bit and so it's just very interesting because the background especially in the first scene is very noticeably like artistic um in style and and the music is also the safe or peace music i can i never know if it's like safe or peace because they both have the same kind of like do 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 type theme but it's just really peaceful and that's actually the song that they usually end episodes with but they're actually beginning this one with that music so it, it's very peaceful right now, which is p- pretty quickly going to change. But then Sokka brings back some nuts for dinner. And when Momo tries to crack the nuts, a huge boom happens and Aang and Sokka and Katara run towards it. And a huge theme we see throughout this episode is Momo being an earthbender. Yes, <laughs> that's that pretty mind. funny. Yeah. Um, yeah. So when Momo's trying to crack the nut, it happens right when he's trying to crack it. And he's like, oh, my gosh, like, what am I doing? Like, what is the secret power I hold? Um, but then Sokka says, shouldn't we run away from huge booms, not toward them? So um, Sokka gets noticeably a lot more like logical and uh, calculated and cautious in this episode yeah something struck me about that too the previous thing he said he was like what was that as soon as it came on and it shows that he's like very alert but to me it almost sounded like he was scared and i i still feel like this is beginning Sokka when he's still like at the beginning of the whole he becomes a brave warrior arc so to me it was like oh he just seems kind of scared of this loud noise 
So then the next scene is they run towards the boom and they discover Haru, who is earthbending in secret. And Aang Katara are really excited to go meet him because they're like, oh my God, he's an earthbender. And Sokka is like, maybe let's not. Like, it could be dangerous and, you know, responsible and, like, cautious. But yeah, and then Katara goes, hello, I'm Katara. And, like, right when... Sokka's like maybe not just cuts to that and it's pretty obvious character differences here between Sokka and Katara and I just think the two of them sink deeper into their like archetypes in this episode also you know is Katara curious or does she have a love at first sight situation with Haru we can (laughs) talk about this romance developing in this episode I obviously like to instigate romance wherever possible, but they do harken back to a potential Katara Haru romance like much later in the show too. Yeah, one thing that really struck me about when they found Haru was they found him because of the loud noise and the noise is really loud. Earthbending is so loud. And I was kind of thinking about like the implications of that on the different styles of bending and how it's really hard to practice earthbending in secret. Whereas with either waterbending or airbending it might be a more covert type of bending i don't know yeah justin now that you bring that up he must have been really really far from his village but they pretty quickly like are able to track him back there so yeah i don't know yeah another extension i thought of this was earth and fire are really loud so and i immediately thought of how when zuko goes covert he never uses firebending he only uses his swords because i mm. guess like shooting fire is like a really loud noise yeah, so then they, uh, they're they like, let's go follow Haru because we're hungry and we need food. And it just shows that hunger is has been and is a huge motivator in this yes. show. Yes, throughout the show. Yeah, always. Always on the lookout for food. Um, they apparently weren't fed enough in Omashu, uh, even after getting <laughs> yeah. the royal treatment. Um, but yeah, they Haru runs away when they call out to him and they follow him to the village. And the first thing I noticed was there's this overhead shot of the village and Momo is sitting on top of a building, like looking over this village. And I'm just like, oh, Momo has it pretty good. Like most of the time when we see him, he's eating or he just can explore and do whatever he wants. So um, he just like wasn't with the team. He was just kind of like flying wherever he wants to go. Um, but I just thought it was interesting. I was like, why is Momo in this like landscapey type scenery shot? Okay, so then Katara sees Haru, and then Haru enters his mom's shop. At first, I thought it was his house, and then I was like, what the fuck? Katara's literally breaking and entering right now. Like, she has literally no sense of privacy or anything. Um, But I think it's just the store. Mm. Because she, like, opens up the cash register and, like, pulls out the... I don't know if it's a cash register or just, like, a box, a safe. I don't know, but, I mean, there was no bed or anything. So she's like, hey, you're that kid. And um, he's like, no, you must have me confused for some other kid and then Aang's like no she doesn't we saw you earthbending so like team (laughs) avatar just completely has no chill and this is honestly stalking but fine um and then the fire nation comes and they are asking for more money because they say the taxes have doubled and they say we wouldn't want to have an accident now would we fire sometimes so hard to control and i this just made me think of the deserter episode where we learn that fire is very um like unstable, volatile. Yeah, sure. So yeah, this reminded me of the deserter episode where fire is just very like unstable and like hard. Yeah, just in general, very unpredictable and very emotion driven, like maybe even more than the other elements. I don't know. Only um, when controlled by a weak person. But but I think it definitely does have that sort of fear factor associated with it because you can't threat like fire is so it can just like 
you can make one move and then it takes on a life of its own. So it's very scary and it's like a very effective way of like striking fear into the people of the Earth Kingdom. Um, and in this, in this case, especially so then she pays them and he leaves and then they get into a whole argument or Katara and the Haru's mother get into a whole, a whole argument. Cause they find out the, uh, fire nation has been there for a while. And then Haru's like, Oh, like no one is going to stand up to them. And then, so Katara is like, why not? And the mom is like, Oh, like, because like they're terrible and like, you don't know what they're capable of doing. And I just thought this was this whole conversation just really starts to highlight Katara's main character character traits that start to come out in this episode which is just like youthful optimism and idealism and like boundless hope basically um in the face of complete and utter hopelessness yeah i think in this episode we see katara at both her best and her worst so she does have this boundless optimism but sometimes especially in this episode it's kind of confused with this naivete and kind of like a lack of empathy in in certain cases she asks the mother and she says this another time too she's like how could you give up hope like how could you like how dare you and it seems as if she's just shaming the mother and that seemed very lacking empathy in this instance she takes it too far sometimes and then Katara, like in the midst of this exchange, Katara at one point says, Haru has a gift asking Haru not to earthbend is like asking me not to waterbend. And I think this goes back to what Anand was saying about Katara a little bit being naive and not really having a ton of empathy. And also just, I found this comment pretty presumptuous, just like way to make it all about you, Katara. Mm-hmm. Oh, like it's like asking me not to waterbend. It's it's a comment very fueled by emotion. And obviously like his mother prob- like doesn't know what it's like to be a bender and it just doesn't really serve to bolster her argument and so um i was just like this is not effective and then also i'm just like why are they not surprised she's a waterbender after she says yeah, this? that's true i don't think ang ever tells anybody in the village he's the avatar in in this episode but also just throughout the episode no one's ever surprised that they like that they are who they are yeah no that's a that's a good point um this comment i think is worth bookmarking for the moment because i think this is a real theme that comes up through the episode Uh, The idea that bending is someone's identity and Katara links her identity very strongly to waterbending. And we'll see that Haru does the same with earthbending. Mm -hmm. And we'll see how later on the Fire Nation kind of strips these earthbenders of their earthbending and their identity and how that drives them into doing nothing in the face of such terribleness. So that's something that keeps recurring throughout this episode. Mm -hmm. And uh, so one thing that's really interesting about this scene that's kind of cute is Haru's mother is voiced by a woman named Pat Music, who's actually the mother of the actress that voices Katara. So that's a little cute thing they threw in there Um, it's very cute i yeah i read that too and i was like wow they're actually having like a mother-daughter yeah right now (laughs) which is really funny yeah maybe this is a way for katara's voice actress to (laughs) get a little sassy with her mom yeah exactly Exactly. i'm sure they channeled a lot of real feelings for this fight (laughs) Yeah. yeah so haru's mom in this scene also mentions that the earth kingdom village has only been under occupation for five years, which was also very interesting to me because in the whole timeline of the war, that's a very small portion of the entire war, right? It's been going on for Mm -hmm. 100 years. So it's very recent occupation. It tells us where the Fire Nation is in terms of like the front lines and which areas are Fire Nation colonies. Mm -hmm. Um, And I thought that was very interesting because it also plays into the psychology of the people who live in this village, because they remember what it was like to be free, whereas some of the village, villages, rather, 
it could be two to three generations under Fire Nation rule. Yeah, that's a really good yeah, point. Yeah, that's a good point. And it shows that's even more striking because the whole town already seems so broken and it's already only been five years, which is crazy. That just shows you like how terrible the Fire Nation has been. Yeah, it's very sad. Though to be fair, five years is yeah, a long yeah, time yeah. compared to other villages. The fight kind of wraps up with the mom winning. But before that, <laughs> the mom says, you don't understand. Katara says, I understand that Haru can help you fight back, which is totally like completely missing each other. Katara is here. <laughs> I understand that Haru can help you fight back. What can the Fire Nation do to you that they haven't done already? Which is just, again, a kind of naive comment because she can obviously not. She's not empathizing or she's not really thinking too much, too deeply about the things she's saying, I guess it seems like. But again, she is hopeful still. And then mom drops the mic and she's like, they can take Haru away like they took his father and end of discussion. And just a fun fact about Haru, uh, his name means spring in Japanese, which is the dominant season for earthbenders. Huh. Yeah. Whoa. So the next scene is that they go to a barn um, because Haru's family lets them sleep there for the night. And then the next scene is Katara and Haru on their walk, aka their first date. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you see them just connecting very quickly. So Katara apologizes of, uh, for what she said because she didn't know about his father. And Haru says that it's okay. She reminds him of his father and she tells her how his father got taken away. Um, and they're just being so vulnerable with each other. It's so sweet. They're just kind of bonding over their stories of losing their parents and missing their family. Yeah, I don't know <laughs> if there's a lot of like romantic overtones with this scene. It just seems like two people in a very bad situation just getting to know each other a lot better. And I think in those situations, you can be a lot more vulnerable, but I don't know if it necessarily means... I don't know if you could call it a date. Okay. So well, <laughs> I hear you, but um, one thing I'm obviously finding any sort of like I have confirmation bias, but the another thing that confirmed my instinct that there's something there is the the shot of them, there's like at the end of the scene, there's a shot of from behind that is gazing towards the sunset. And just the whole scene is shrouded in this very warm tone, similar to what we see in the flashback sequences where everything is perfect and beautiful. Flashback sequences are always very like happy and nice and idyllic idyllic. And so I'm like, okay, then this is a date, right? Because they're just there, it's like a very somber conversation an emotional and sad conversation but then they have this shot of the sunset and how beautiful and warm it is so one thing haru mentions uh on their little date is that he connects with his father through earthbending and so this again is another thing that connects the earthbending to his identity and his relationships with people. Mm -hmm. And while he says this, he's kind of um, rolling some rocks around or bending some little pebbles. And it really reminded me of Aang's air marble trick. Oh, he yeah, also does true. this later in the episode too. Um, and oh, and then it, it turns into sand, which reminded me of Boomy's like quicksand trick of how um, Earth can just take the form of sand too. Yeah. And finally, um, as they're getting deeper and more emotionally available and vulnerable she tells haru that um her mother gave her her necklace which is um very personal and she hasn't told ang that i don't think as far as we've seen <laughs> so katara is a little more smitten with haru at this point more than Aang. it could be that she just knows she'll never see this guy again <gasps> so she can kind of Ooh. tell him whatever <laughs> yeah 
So then the next scene is um, there's a mine explosion. And so they're like, oh, my God, what's that? And they run over to the loud noise and see that an old man is being Tra- or is trapped under these rocks in at the opening of the mine and they're trying to get him out but they can't and Katara says you can get him out Haru and she's like you have to earthbend it's the only way and dun 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 what a moral dilemma <laughs> what do you do in this situation <laughs> um so I think this is an easy one. There's no one else around. Like, you got to save the guy. <laughs> like, it's not that hard. I don't know. Yeah. Like, you got it. You got to yeah, save Yeah, I know. I mean, Katara says it's the only way. And for a split second, I was like, is it the only way? But yeah. it definitely seems like the only <laughs> but way. But it probably is. Only. <laughs> so then Haru saves him because he's a good boy. Or because he loves Katara. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was just to impress Katara. Uh, <laughs> anyways... <laughs> So the next scene is Team Avatar sleeping in the barn. Uh, just a very quick scene. Um, or they're getting ready to sleep, sorry. And Katara is like, it was so brave of Haru to use earthbending to help that old man, she says with hearts in her eyes. And then Aang says, you must have really inspired him. And I was like, boy, aren't you jealous? Can't you see what's happening here? Anyways, <laughs> and Sokka mm-hmm. is not here for all this touchy-feely stuff well Sokka actually says we're leaving at dawn which I think is a huge juxtaposition to the second scene where he like he wakes up and he's like still in this sleeping bag and Aang is like playing pranks on him so I think here we're really seeing Sokka um come of age and be the responsible mm-hmm. one which maybe the Kyushi warriors are to thank for that Ooh. and then they go to sleep and in the middle of the night uh, we see Aang and it's a, this is the quick scene. We see Aang and Momo cuddling and it's just super adorable. And then according to Avatar Extras, when Aang is asleep, because he's cuddling with Momo and he has this big smile on his face, apparently he's dreaming about Katara. According to Avatar Extras, this is not me making stuff up. This is official. This is canon. Wow, love triangle. <laughs> um, and then we see what happens in the middle of the night, which is the old man, not as cool as old <laughs> yes. man Oyaji. So <laughs> Definitely the worst old man in the show. I think we can say that. He sells confidence. out Haru to the firebenders and they come grab him in the middle of the night, which is very like secret police-y. Um, and I just thought this is, I mean, I think this is kind of a crazy plot twist. Like this episode, I think... A lot of people give it credit for taking turns, twists and turns, where like you don't necessarily expect for things to go. And I don't think you would ever expect for not would ever, but like for the old man to sell him out for saving his life. So the next scene is in the morning. Katara is like getting water, and then she finds out uh, that Haru had has been taken away in the middle of the night um, because she sees Haru's mom crying. Katara decides that it's all her fault, right? And then she has to go save him and break him out of the prison rig. And then Sokka says, he's long gone. Um, We can't track him. And then Katara says, we don't need to track him. The Fire Nation is going to take me right to Haru. And I was like, damn, she comes up with this plan quick. Like so fast she comes with this plan. So snaps for her. Like I feel like usually Sokka is the the one with kind of the brilliant masterminded plans and Katara completely comes up with this one on her own albeit it's a little not it's a little it's very risky so many things can go wrong but um it does end up working and like it is very brave 
So then um, she tells them the plan. They're going to, and she says, they're going to arrest me for earthbending. And then they're like, what? And she explains and everything. And or the, the whole team comes up the plan together. So we see a little bit of Sokka strategizing here. Also, the team Sokka, especially, cave really caves really fast, which I thought was a little bit out of character. But they get behind her plan pretty quickly. And uh, basically, Katara and Sokka are going to get into this fake fight and she's going to earthbend. And they're... I think this is pure, like, this scene is just comedic gold. Um, but yeah. during this fake fight, Katara's acting is so, so cringy. Like, in a in a kind of unbearable way. Um, but then in the end, she says, I'll show you who's boss, earthbending style. <laughs> and, like, Aang misses his cue, and then they do it again. And then the firebenders are like, that lemur, he's earthbending. Which yeah, is that was so funny. I actually laughed so out loud. So funny. Yeah, me I too. I actually laughed out loud. I think this <laughs> might be so better good. than all the jokes from... The King of Obama. I think, I think it might be, yeah. Even though that episode was freaking hilarious. Anyways, um, yeah, so Momo's earthbending again. What a talented little lemur. Then Asaka's like, no, you idiots. <laughs> like, it's the girl. <laughs> um, yeah, actually, so another thing about this episode is the firebenders that we see are pretty funny. Like, they are they use so many of the firebenders as, mm. as, like, comedic characters, like these guards. Not, like, the first guard, but then also the warden who is mean and cruel also has his like funny moments, which is interesting, I think. Mm. Anyways, then they take her away and Sokka's left standing there like pulling at his ears because Katara made fun of his ears because she yeah, called him a giant eared Cretan. So the next scene is there at the prison and the warden is welcoming other prisoners and Katara is among the prisoners and he's speaking um, and he's just kind of explaining the prison and the rules. And at one point... Um, someone coughs and he firebends at coughs while he's speaking and he firebends at him and orders him into solitary confinement for a week, which is completely absurd uh, punishment for the coughing. And this is just the first um, detail that shows you how cruel the fire nation is. Um, and just at least the punish, like their punishments completely not fitting the crimes and being overly aggressive and um, yeah, just being overly aggressive. Um, and also this is the first episode that we see in a prison. Uh, we see Boiling Rock too. And I think other, I think Boiling Rock is the only other significant prison episode, but it, yeah, it sheds light on the hostile environments of prisons and being a war prisoner. And I guess, you know, this is kind of a concentration camp even, but it's, crazy that this they show this the inner workings of these like war um, of these like concentration camps in a kid's show and it, they it's probably the first time that children are grappling with this idea of being a prisoner let alone a prisoner in this very very sad and depressing camp so just one note on the on the warden he's voiced by george takai who's a very famous actor from star trek among many other things and he actually does kind of have a personal connection to this whole scene because they had to relocate to uh internment camp in arkansas the other thing that i found crazy about this was i was like dang he is really old i did not realize how old he was but he's like 80 something he's like mm -hmm. 85 so he was like you know a little boy when when that happened which is pretty crazy so we also see something else that uh harkens back to world war ii um so the warden when he is talking about the earthbenders um first of all he talks about how they're enclosed in a rig of metal to make earthbenders powerless so they can't use earthbending and so here we begin to see how earthbending is kind of tied to identity and once you strip them away from 
their power to earthbend, you kind of take away their their identity, their purpose, their will. Mm-hmm. But he also calls earthbending a brutish savagery, mm-hmm. which I thought was very interesting because I, I think Justin has like talked about something like this before where all the bending styles are kind of different manifestations of how chi can be channeled through different people and different cultures. There's like this constant theme throughout the show that all the bending styles aren't that different. But here we see the firebenders kind of in this like firebending supremacy mentality saying that, oh, earthbending is not even the same league as firebending, right? It's a brutish mm-hmm. savagery. And that mm-hmm. just really reminded me about how like the Nazis in, in Germany used race as a factor p- to put down other people. So then the next scene is Katara goes to meet the other prisoners and she finds Haru and she tells him that she's here to rescue him um, and that she got herself arrested. And Haru says, you got guts, Katara. I'll give you that. Yeah. And that's really true. I think Katara in this episode, I think we've talked a lot about how she's been a little bit naive, but she's also extremely courageous and she has this really admirable sense of moral responsibility in this episode and throughout the show that we wherever she encounters people who she thinks are helpless and, and, and vulnerable, she will always try to go out of her way to try to help them. Um, and it made me think of like the Painted Lady episode from season three where she goes rogue and, you know, it's maybe not the smartest thing to do for the overall mission um, and probably sets them back and whatever. But um, she, yeah, she has this deep like care and um, love for like other people. So then we see Haru introducing Katara to his father and his father is extremely nice and generous he gives his meal that he's eating to Katara. And you mm-hmm. must think that they're very famished. Like they don't get much food in this prison camp. But he gives her his food, which is very kind of inspiring. And you see that this father is very, very kind. We see where Haru gets his kindness from, I suppose. Um, but it kind of sets the scene for later how even someone who has such a pure heart has fallen into this trap of losing all hope. Yeah. It is really sad, but he's he's a good dude. He, he kind of runs the place, too. You see yeah. him kind of how he's like, make sure the the blankets, like the elders have their blankets. Yeah, he's like, I'll talk to the guards he's, and yeah, he's stuff. So yeah, he has, he has ins with the... So then Katara asks uh, Tyro, which is Haru's father's name, if he has a plan. And again, I'm just like, oh, like, oh, silly Katara. Like, do they have a plan for escaping? Like, I don't know. They're still here. It's been a while. <laughs> um <laughs> So again, like a little presumptuous, but pretty bold. And Tyro says the plan is to survive to wait out this war. So it's a little bit, it's definitely more practical plan for survival. Um, and then she, and then he says, yeah, Katara, I admire your courage. He's very hopeless at this point. To finish out that quote, he says, I admire your courage and envy your youth, but people's lives are at stake mm. here. I think the, the adults here are just talking about like the rea- realities of mm-hmm. being in a war. Yeah, like yeah. you don't just escape from a prison willy-nilly because <laughs> silly Katara. Um, but yeah, and then Katara's like, she still just can't even begin to comprehend this feeling of not having any hope because she herself has so much of it um, that she really can't imagine it being gone. And so um, she tries to inspire hope in the prisoners by giving this rousing speech and the warden is listening <laughs> and um, just some takeaways is uh, she's like, you're not powerless just because they've taken their bent or just because they've taken away your bending doesn't mean 
they can't they can take away your courage or something like that and then she ends with the time to fight back is now and yeah also it was it was very like well formed and thoughtful yeah i thought this speech had some really good lines i thought this speech was like beautiful there's one quote that i really liked she says it is the strength of your hearts that make you who you are hearts that will remain unbroken when all rock and stone has eroded away that's like so powerful like this she should be like a speech writer for like you know all these like political campaigns and stuff (laughs) what's she doing like dang she okay. also mastered Pippin Padalopskopoulos super yeah, quickly. Wow. So clearly master she is a master of the English language. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, I, but I, okay, so I think that's just really beautiful language. But this episode is really deep in, in certain ways because they only actually get their hope back when they get their bending back. So she says hearts that will remain unbroken when all rock and stone has eroded away. But that's actually not true. They don't have any hope when they don't have any rocks. They only get their hope back when they have rocks, right? Mm-hmm. So although it's beautiful, I think, I don't know, there's something there that people's like purpose and their hope is connected to their identity and and that identity mm-hmm. they find in earthbending. Mm-hmm. I can see it as just a practical thing. Yeah. Like how can you break out of a prison and free yourself if you don't have bending? And they do. <sighs> yeah. But like <laughs> I-, I found the speech very very cringy. <laughs> it, it seems like th- there's just like a lot of like youthful naivete here. It, it's not really like aware of the situation. Katara doesn't even know if she she's capable of breaking out of here. And <laughs> if we're going to take Haru's dad's quote at all seriously, he says people's lives are at stake. So very like in, in another show in Game of Thrones, if someone says, you know, they'd be dragged <laughs> off and be tortured and brought back and be completely soulless. Um, so the whole time I was just like, ah, stop talking. You're going to get destroyed. Yeah, no, that's interesting. I, I actually do agree with that. I think, although the language, in my opinion, at least I like, like the language a lot. I think the speech is actually one of like naivete and kind of dangerous in just like saying all these things that yeah. she doesn't know she means. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Like she could have, like the warden was listening. She totally could have gotten them all screwed over. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but yeah, another thing that I think I read somewhere was that like this is re- a real moment of character growth for Katara because it's maybe a moment where she she sees real hopelessness and it's she realizes that like just because she has all this hope doesn't mean like she can just transfer it over to other people because mm-hmm. like back at the village like she had hope but like also Haru had hope you know and like it's like he she had some people who felt similarly to her but. At this point, she is the like only person who has any sort of is inspired in any sort of way to fight back, and like no one else around her responds to her speech. Yeah, and so I think she grows in that moment. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, so after she delivers this rousing speech, there's one person who coughs in the background, kind of like the jokes oh, really? from the <laughs> King of Amashu <laughs> episode. Yeah, I think he coughs twice, so maybe he liked it a little better than Boomy's jokes. But yeah, this. <laughs> Also, like, I think is almost like a direct correlation to either like concentration camps in the Soviet Union or in Nazi Germany. One of the biggest things that happened there was they really broke people down to the point where they were totally hopeless and they lost all value as people. And we see here in in the face of Katara giving this like crazy speech, trying to stir everyone up, like no one cares at all. And mm-hmm. she even says the Avatar is back. Like this should be some big news, you know, like everyone sees the Avatar as this beacon of hope, but they don't even care. Like they're mm-hmm. totally broken. Mm-hmm. And that's like, that's really sad. That's, mm-hmm. 
really sad, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think, yeah, the fact that they, again, put this in like a kid's show is like very striking. Yeah, I think that just mm. the cringiness, like Justin was saying, and the pure like awkwardness of the aftermath of the speech is really emotionally striking. And then, yeah, so another plot hole I noticed was at some point during the speech, she mentions that she's from the Water Tribe, and she's like, oh, in the Water Tribe, we were rocked to sleep by stories of these brave earthbenders. Um, and then, so she reveals that she's, I don't know if she reveals that she's a waterbender. I don't think she does, but she reveals that she's from the Water Tribe. Because she's not in, an earthbender. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, in that case, like, if she had revealed she was a waterbender, but I don't know, maybe they should have, like, dug into that a little bit more. I feel like the warden should have been a little surprised and worried. <laughs> But I guess she just says she's from the Water Tribe. Um, and yeah, oh, and then he probably assumes that they took all the waterbenders from the Water Tribe. So yeah, there you go. But he is pretty um, careless as a warden. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then the next scene is nighttime and Sokka and Aang come to rescue Katara because they gave her 12 hours and they say, we have to go now. Katara says she can't leave because she's not giving up on these people. Um, and she says, there's got to be a way for us to help them. Um, and they are like, oh, we have to find a way to help them. And how can we find a way to help them help themselves? And then uh, Aang sides with Katara. He asks what Sokka thinks, but he's like, oh, I think Katara's right. So, yeah, Aang's definitely, they they share this optimism that Sokka is constantly fighting against. Um, and then, yeah, Katara, again, just won't give up on anybody who th- she thinks is helpless and that she can help. Um, and then Sokka agrees, and he's like, I think you're both crazy. I, I think Sokka, Sokka's right here. <laughs> it's, like, crazy to try to break them out of this this jail they, they they have no clue what they're doing they don't know if it's gonna work but something i found really funny at this moment Aang goes i wish i knew how to make a hurricane <laughs> which um <laughs> if you think about the end of season one like he has the ability to do it he just doesn't know it yet <laughs> i like that yeah it's just got to be more confident. Another thing I liked uh, when Sokka's trying to decide whether or not to go along with their plan is he says, well, after he says, I say you're both crazy, he says, I hate when you get like this. And I just thought it was funny <laughs> because it was a, it showed their like deep sibling bond of their constant conflict and also just the fact that they know each other so, mm-hmm. um, so deeply and like that Katara does this all the time <laughs> and Sokka <laughs> knows it because he's her brother. So then they're hiding and hatching their plan and Aang comes up with the brilliant idea this time. Um, and he's like, look at the smoke. I bet they're burning coal or in other words, earth. And But then Sokka's the one who really fleshes it out. So he's still kind of this strategist and he is explaining the plan as there's this like montage of how they're going to bring the coal up through the venture. Yeah, I thought, I thought this this like plan was was pretty cute um, and like cool because they make connections back to the beginning of the episode with the coal and the vents. So, like, the town that they're from produces coal for the Fire Nation, um, and so they're using the coal to break out, which actually is also, like, a a good idea. I hadn't even thought of that. Mm -hmm. That was actually, like, a good idea. Mm -hmm. And they use the vents. They're, like, similar to how we stage the earthbending. We'll use the vents to bring up the the earthbending. So I like how they made connections to, to the beginning of the scene. I think cute is an afterword. Uh, it's it's a nice cute plan, but it ain't gonna work, right? So part part of the montage, they show like 
enclosing all the other vents. Like number one, it's so <laughs> hot in those, you know, giant smokestacks. How is he just touching like bare metal? How B? How is he getting there? And then C, their whole plan is for Aang to somehow air bend these rocks into the area where they go. So they A, they need a blueprint of where all these vents are going, and then B. That's not the only opening. The The whole smokestack is a giant tube. So if they blow air, all the coals just go, go out of the smokestack and not into this right turn. I don't know. I thought this was a very rushed plan. And if it was real, it wouldn't have worked. This is my point. And they should have just moved on. You're right. Uh, they probably should have. It's pretty hard to have a whole prison break. Prison but... break out in like five seconds. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh. it's like probably a huge security risk for the fact that they have <laughs> yeah. the coal there. And they probably know it, too. <laughs> they oh, knew man. this day would come. That's on them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And the last thing to note is just this is the first of many kind of crazy, unrealistic team avatar plans that I feel like they always hatch <laughs> yeah. up. And then Sokka explains in some montage. <laughs> And then they get in the daytime, they get to executing the plan. So um, they get the coal through the vents and it shoots up to like the top level. And Katara says, here's your chance, Earthbenders, take it. And also at one point, I think the warden says, you're one mistake away from dying where you stand. And I was like, whoa there. Damn. D- first death threat of the show. Oh my <laughs> God. <laughs> uh, yeah, cruel man. And yeah, he's threatening to like, literally kill this like girl and yeah yeah you realize how high the stakes are at that point yeah so once the earth or the coal comes up no one goes for it but haru is actually the first one to start earthbending so we see again this youth the spirit of youthfulness is the one that actually like takes the takes the leap into doing something but again i think this ties it whole all together the whole like earthbending as identity theme because once they regain their earth bending and Haru shows them that they that it's there. Once they regain it, they begin to regain their identity and through that hope that they can actually escape and so they actually um, fight the firebenders. So and also, um, when Tyro he's I think the second one to uh, start earth bending. Yeah, because the warden firebends at Haru after Haru throws the rock Ooh. and then Tyro blocks the blocks the firebending. Right, right. That's cool. Mm-hmm. So when he starts attacking he says, for the Earth Kingdom, which is an interesting uh, cry because, yeah, Justin, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? My thing is, why does he have loyalty towards the Earth Kingdom? Right. Because we, we already know at this point in the show, the Earth Kingdom is this collections of principalities surrounded around Ba Sing Se, which is like a whole desert away. And it's interesting to see this distinction here because it's his loyalty to his nationality here and not to his bending as his identity that he he clings to yeah i i i I totally agree so i thought that was a very interesting quote i think maybe and they don't really explore this ever the bending is intimately tied to the kingdom or at least in his mind so like instead of saying for earth bending maybe he would say (laughs) for earth benders that i think that would make sense too but he says for the earth kingdom so maybe in the earth kingdom there is a stronger tie between bending and the kingdom i don't know I also think it's something that like everybody can get behind. Like this is clearly a place where they hold all earthbenders from the earth, entire earth kingdom. And I think they, they obviously feel resentful of the fact that their village, like 
Tyro feels resentful of the fact that his village has been occupied, that he's been taken away from his family. And so, like, maybe for his him and his cronies, it would be, like, for the name of the village. But just because it's, like, all earthbenders from the entire kingdom, it's something that, like, it's, like, kind of maybe one of the only things that unifies them all. Other than saying for earthbending, that's kind of a weird, <laughs> weird thing to say. <laughs> and then if you say for earthbenders, then it's like, well, what about Haru's mother? <laughs> She's not an yeah, earthbender. That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good point. <laughs> yeah. But then, yes, there's an earthbender rebellion and everyone starts fighting. And I, one thing I noticed was that Sokka cuts off some of the guards' weapons and tosses them up to Momo. So Sokka's being useful for maybe the first time in ever in combat <laughs> as is momo momo is not just like eating stuff all the time like he's like picking up these uh, these spears and just like taking them away good for Sokka and Momo. <laughs> yeah uh, part of this combat that i found really funny and also i wish we saw more of we don't really see this until i think the last couple episodes is Aang creates like this air funnel gun and then he's like oh everyone put rocks or give me earth and then they throw the earth into like the funnel and it shoots it out at a really high speed <laughs> And that's probably like gonna cause a lot more casualties than than shooting around air. Yeah, <laughs> he should just be the vehicle for all the other. Air is just the vehicle <laughs> yeah. for all of their bending. Just kidding. Air is cool. Mm. Air is fine. Um, and so another cool thing that happens is Haru and his father work together to condense this um, mm. these like individual pieces of coal into this like hard boulder. Of, I guess, like, granite? I don't know. I read this somewhere. So this isn't me. But someone was like, oh, can't they make diamonds? Um, And so why is that not, like, a a prime export uh, of the (laughs) Earth Kingdom, like, jewelry and stuff? Um, They'd be all be rich. And they'd probably more wealthy than the Fire Nation. (laughs) Well, when we think about Omashu, there there were a lot of jewels in Omashu. That's true. Especially in the scenes inside the castle. They could use the diamonds. Well, I guess they didn't have coal. Mm. But they could bribe the fire nation soldiers at the prison yeah all of the earth bending we see that haru does in the beginning and all the earth bending that we see in omashu it's either moving earth or deconstructing earth but this is the first time where we see them play with density and it requires two people so i think that's really interesting because later on when we see toff metal bend for the first time she's feeling the density in the earth around her so maybe mm. that's something that requires a higher level of earth bending oh that's a really good point i like that um yeah so then the battle like ends and they uh have like tyro is like shipping all these firebenders off on this like uh levitating rock out to sea (laughs) and then the warden is like no please i can't swim and then he's like i hear cowards it's okay i hear cowards float but um and then he just (laughs) drops them all in the water and i'm just like does that mean the warden dies (laughs) So does the the warden the first death of the show? Not Jet. (laughs) But probably not because like people probably save him. And fun fact is this is the first episode where all four elements are bent in one episode outside of the opening credits. Mm. That's pretty neat. So the next scene is the Earthbenders are escaping on all the Fire Nation ships. And wow, they're like also mechanics (laughs) and they can operate their ships. And so Tyro and Haru are thanking Katara for helping them find their courage and for restoring hope specifically. So I'm glad Katara gets the credit she deserves um, for helping them so much. And they say they're going to take back their villages. Yeah, that's Mm -hmm. a good point. 
And then Haru invites Katara to come back with them to the village. And I'm like, how romantic. He's in, he's bringing her home. <laughs> She's met the family, although I don't know if the mom likes her, <laughs> <laughs> which is probably going to be a tough obstacle to overcome. But anyways, then she's like, no, that's okay. And then she's like, we have to go, like, you know, go with Aang. And then Katara realizes that her necklace is gone. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. And honestly, I did not see this coming. Because <laughs> um, I, I remember I thought, I noticed that she was telling the, the necklace, like, origin story before. And I was like, oh, like, okay, cool. So we learned that, like, at this point, like, in this episode. Um, but then, like, I didn't realize how quickly it came back into play. Um, and then the last scene is that Zuko finds, I think Zuko is at the prison and he finds the necklace. And he looks into the distance dramatically. And this is the beginning of Zutara. <laughs> oh, it is. Zuko and Katara's first connection. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. And that's the episode. I have a question. So in in the show, the adults are often the representatives for the realities of war and the horrors of war. And that's especially apparent in this episode. Do you think Team Avatar serves as something to aspire to in these kinds of situations? Or are they unrealistic, naive, and we shouldn't act as uh, in the way that they act? Yeah. Okay. I think that's a very good question. I think my position would be that they are something to aspire to, or at least that is what the show writers intended it to be, right? So this this also reminds me of the question of when Aang is trying to decide whether to kill the Fire Lord or not, he ends up not having to actually kill the Fire Lord. He, mm-hmm. he manages to find another way, right? So they set up these like terrible things, but then like they set up these like dark things, but then these these youthful spirit and hopeful spirits are able to overcome that in in some way right so i I think the message of the show and you know it is a kid's show but i think like hope and this youthful spirit to take on risks head on will overcome evil but like people have to do it right um and is that something that's realistic like because it's in this children's show realm like you know they're much darker shows like game of thrones and stuff where maybe you know they actually do expose some of the darker sides of like realities maybe but i think it is more in like the kid realm where they're where they're talking to kids so i think they do take some liberties with maybe not showing like all of the dark realities but they're on the side of the youth youth and hope to as something to aspire to Mm -hmm. yeah i completely agree i think their spirit is something to aspire to for sure and i think that's definitely one of the main messages of the show is that like, oh, you're a kid. You have a lot of power to like do things, shape your own destiny, help people do good in the world. Um, and that's exemplified very much so through Team Avatar and all the things they do. They do do some things that are not realistic. And I think the only, in this episode, the only thing I take real issue with a little bit is like the prison break idea because that's just kind of like crazy. But also... Like in this world, it's just very hard to draw direct parallels to war and the hor- and war in like the real world because they're kind of like a vigilante type group that like goes around and like does whatever they think is right because that's kind of the job of the avatar is like the avatar has the this crazy amount of power and then the avatar is supposed to apply it in like whatever way they think serves like the world the best. And so it's just like, and I think that like bleeds into team avatar 
in general. So they do have like maybe more confidence than most to feel that they can enact real change and do and help these. Like maybe that's what like part of what was Katara was like leaning on was that like she has this team that is has a lot of influence and power to like maybe yeah it's like not so far out of the question to like be able to break all these people out of prison and so it's like yeah it's like a little impractical just because of how the story is laid out but I think like their courage and resilience is something like definitely to aspire to what do you think Justin so I think my answer to this and I'm going to be contrarian is I think the answer is no, because I think as any kid learns as they grow older, you have to come and reckon with the realities that you're living in. And sometimes I think the manifestation of having this brazen courage will lead to worse outcomes for you and your loved ones. Yeah, I think like Joyce said, the reason it works for them is because they have probably the strongest being on the planet on their side, even though they're kids. So they're like, they actually can get away with with the stuff they want to do. So I don't even know about that because Aang isn't a fully realized avatar yet. And and his uh, avatar state only kicks in when he's in a life or death situation. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I think like maybe we can talk about like the specific situation of like the prison break. And I think, you know, they're, yeah, like I think it wasn't the smartest thing to do. But like, I guess the only other time the only other situation in this episode where there's kind of like a dilemma was like saving the man and like at the risk of exposing earthbending and i think in that case like the message that like yeah like it's debatable how much power ang or how powerful ang is but like i think the message that if you have the ability and the influence and the this the room to be able to do something helpful like you should try mm-hmm. um and i think that's yeah. A good message and obviously you know then like as you like are growing older and you're not like five anymore or you can or ten <laughs> like you you can grapple with more of the realities but i think at least that the good like the good willed intention to like help is like a good thing i mean it's like i think it's a good message mm-hmm. I, agree. I don't know maybe i'm very much operating within the framework of a, a kid's show because like i i don't don't think they can send any other message. I think that would be completely detrimental to children. <laughs> like to be like, here's war. And like, here's like, here's your first introduction to war and it sucks. And if this <laughs> happens to you, like you should just like be sad and like your life is over. <laughs> it would be so terrible hmm. in my opinion. I think there another direction they could have gone with this is the lesson that you make decisions and every decision has a result. And the decision here is that they help people in the short term, but their long-term goal is set back. And if you really think about how the show pans out, by the time Aang has to fight the Fire Lord, he's not ready. Because they take all these detours, like the Painted Lady and this episode, etc. And maybe Aang would have been ready to fight the Fire Lord at the very end if they didn't take all these detours. And he was very close to being killed by the Fire Lord. He just got lucky, tripped on a rock, got hit in the back. And got his avatar state back. I think if you ran a million simulations of that fight, this is like, this is the one where, you know, Doctor Strange is like, that's the situation where they win. You know, I think every other situation, Aang is murdered and then King Ozai genocides the rest of the Earth Kingdom. Whew. But throughout all the detours that they take, they meet, they make all these friends who lead the other invasions and they build... Yeah, which failed. <laughs> <laughs> which failed only because of the earth king you know so who knows <laughs> i guess one thing i just thought of as like a little side note is that 
in general, I think it's a, it's harder to be optimistic than to be pessimistic, as you can see from, well, I don't know, it's unfair because it's like these are like adults who have gone through more stuff and like there's Katara. But like, I think it's easier to be pessimistic, especially when it comes to war. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. there has to be people who are who still have the will to fight back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's also easier to be like, oh, we need to go train than rather than sacrifice and risk yourself to save people. Alas, Avatar has a very clear stance on this, <laughs> on this question. So, all right, let's get on with the ratings. So what did you guys give this episode? All righty. Going to give this episode a four out of 10. The good stuff is that I think there were bits of humor in here, especially with Momo, that were really funny. <laughs> I think... The other biggest good part of this episode is it actually is very philosophically interesting. I mean, they make these connections to like real dilemmas from like World War II. And um, it's actually like very, very tragic to see all, all these people, um, you know, in the Fire Nation prison, just utterly hopeless. But it is also, you know, they give a happy ending and like everyone has hope in the end. So I think these philosophical questions that we also talked about are very interesting. However, I think this episode is pretty boring to watch. Nothing really happens. I think the problem is that a lot of these episodes are kind of standalone episodes and they don't really connect to the larger plot that's going on. So it's easy to be like, okay, like, you know, Haru, all right, whatever. Yeah. And like we see Katara doing some things and but at the same time, like there isn't too much going on with the characters. There isn't too much going on with the plot. Mm-hmm. Can give it a four. Mm-hmm. I think originally I was going to give it a lower score, but after thinking about it, I would give it a three. (laughs) (laughs) So hear me out. Hear me out. I agree with Anand. This this episode has been the most boring by far. (laughs) I think if this is the first episode I would see of Avatar, I would almost put it right there. And then um, I think there's a lot of very unrealistic things that happen in this episode. I think it's saving grace is the emotional aspect and the deeper philosophical questions it asks. We don't really see any cool bending in this episode. We don't really see any cool developments of the world of Avatar. You know, when you go to Amashu, you see this really intricate mail delivery system and all these cultural things. The only real new thing you learn here is that they have prisons. Mm -hmm. Um, And they don't even make the prisons that interesting, not that they need to be interesting. Um... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that being said, I think it's a very moving story. And for that, it's a three. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I second everything you guys just said. I'm giving it a four. Yeah, I mean, like, I really enjoyed our discussion of the episode. I think there are, like, again, like what An was saying, like, the good parts of it is that, like, they do really explore kind of the harsh realities of war and they don't shy away from these topics and that's really great but in terms of watchability it's which is clearly my most important metric because of the last episode too (laughs) (laughs) i just thought it was like pretty boring to watch um it's just yeah again agree with justin it's just not as it's not nearly as fantastical or as exciting especially when compared to the last episode like the fight at the end like the earthbender rebellion i feel like could have been way cooler like they have coal like we've never seen bending with coal but like there isn't really anything interesting that happens there in terms of bending technique. I think Haru as a character is just okay. Like mm-hmm. he's very mm-hmm. average. Like he's yeah. so average. Um, he's just like, and then last episode we got Boomy, who is like the most colorful character of the entire yeah. show. <laughs> and uh, like, he's not exceptionally 
like great he doesn't like necessarily have a heart of gold like he's a little bit angsty and then like he doesn't do much else oh uh, speaking of like people not having agency which was a critique of the last episode like Aang and Sokka don't really do that much here Mm -hmm. but Katara does do a lot and that's another brownie points that I would give for this episode is that they do dedicate similar to how Warriors of Kyoshi was dedicated to Sokka this episode is dedicated to Katara which at this point she hasn't really had a lot of screen time highlighting her character that's really important and I'm really happy they did that because yeah also Katara is like the woman female whatever on on team Avatar and she gets the chance to shine and like prove that she's like such a important like her character and her personality is very very important for not even only team avatar but for everybody who's been impacted by the war and momo mm-hmm. is really funny but it was <laughs> definitely less than like it was definitely worse than average so for it is so that concludes this episode of the podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, we hope you guys enjoyed our discussion of Imprisoned. As always, we release on WhatsApp on Wednesdays. So we'll see you here next week for our discussion of Winter Solstice Part 1, The Spirit World. Um, in the meantime, if you want to stay up to date with when we release um, or submit thoughts on this episode or any other episodes of the show, uh, be sure to follow us on social media at on Instagram or Twitter at at what's underscore appa like our facebook page or you can email us at what's appapod at gmail.com so thanks again and we'll see you guys next time bye bye flamio hotman